You say, well, what are you, Brother Keegan? I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I happen, to be, I happen to associate with the Baptists because they are closest in line with the way I believe the Bible teaches and the doctrine of the Bible. So, so you'll understand when you walk in this church what the doctrine is being taught here. It has Baptists on the front of the church. And you say, well, why don't you take that off? I'm not taking it off because I want people to know before they walk in, this is what you're getting. You're not getting a Joe Osteen church or something. You're getting a Bible-believing church, Baptist church. So that's why I'm a Baptist. Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to go into that. Right about now, verse 23. Look at verse 23. Matthew 22, verse 23. This is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he's about to deal with the Sadducees. The same day came, came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him. Now, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in a resurrection or any kind of really spiritual realm. So you get, you get the idea that these Sadducees are messed up doctrinally and biblically, and they're attacking Jesus Christ. And they say, uh, Master, verse 24, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother should marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. And that was a commandment out of, the, out of the law. Now there were with us seven brethren. And the first, when he had married a wife deceased and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And the last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. See, it's always something like this. It, it, it's always some kind of nonsensical thing that they dream up, that they say, well, what about this? And she, she's supposed to marry her brother. Well, what if she has seven brothers? There's seven brothers. She marries each one of them. They all die, and she's marrying them one after, which is just nonsense. And they come up with this hypothetical thing that, that, that they want to pin you on and make you try to explain every little hypothetical thing they can come up with. And that's what they're trying to do to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if they were to come to me with some kind of something like this, they probably could stump me, but you're not going to stump Jesus Christ. You're not going to fool him. You're not going to get him. And they ask him, Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall be of the seven? For they all had her. See, what they're trying to say there is, if, if there's a resurrection, if there's such a thing as a resurrection, which we don't believe in, well, who's gonna, whose wife is she going to be? She's, had, she's been married to seven other brothers. See, that's her attitude. Because they don't believe in a resurrection. Well, Jesus Christ says in verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. You uh, don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry or are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. They're not married. They're not given in marriage. Some of you ladies that think you're going to be married to your husband for eternity, your husband's got some news for you. No, we're not going to be married for eternity. I finally get, a, get to escape. We're not married forever. There's a, we understand in heaven there's going to be relationships there. And we're going to understand those relationships. But it's not eternity. Do you see, that's what that verse teaches you. He teaches us that, yes, there's a resurrection. You don't understand it. You don't know the scriptures. Verse 31, so he says, But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that, that which was spoken unto you by God? Now he's going to quote scripture. Verse 32, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Amen. What did he mean by that? He's quoting scripture. Well, how does that prove that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are alive, or resurrected, or going to resurrect. What is that? How does he get that out of that? Do you not understand? 
Look at verse 33. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. He's astonishing in them. They can't believe this stuff. They're like, just, how does that make sense that God says, I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. How does that prove the resurrection? Because God did not say, I was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You get it? Jesus Christ is saying that one word in there, you're not reading it, you're not knowing it, and it says, I am the God of Abraham. See, when God's talking to Moses, he says, I know Abraham. Well, Abraham's been dead for years, but I am the God of Abraham. I can talk to him right now. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. I am right now. You get that? You know what God is right now? He is the God of Abraham and Isaac to Jacob today. He's a living God. And they're living in faith. He knows them like they're alive right now while he's talking about them. That's our God. And that's what Jesus Christ, the doctrine Jesus Christ is trying to teach them through the scriptures. I am the God of Abraham. Back up at verse 29. This is my sermon. You, ye do err not knowing the scriptures. I want to preach this morning how people get the Bible wrong. I want to preach this morning on how people just plain get the Bible wrong. They get it all messed up. They get the Bible all messed up. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your love. And Father, I thank you for your words that you give us, Lord God, that are written on this paper, Lord God, that are sitting in a book in our lap, Lord God, that we can read it and we can study it and we can know it and we can see what you have for us, Father, and we can glean doctrine out of it, Lord. And Father, I thank you for these things. And Father, I just pray as I, as I give this message, Lord God, it won't be my message. It'll be yours, Lord. It'll be your words, not my words, Lord. And Father, I just pray that Jesus Christ will be glorified and lifted up in every way. Father, I just pray your Holy Spirit will move among us, Father, leading, guiding, directing us. And Father, I just pray, Lord God, that if there's somebody underneath the sound of my voice that's never received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, Father, as we give this invitation at the end of this sermon, Lord, they'll come on down and they'll get saved and they'll get to know you, Father, and get away into heaven. And I thank you for this and I thank you for everything you do for us. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray, amen. How do people get the Bible so wrong? How do people get the Bible so wrong? Well, they get it wrong because they simply just don't know it. That's the simplest answer I can give you. Look at verse 29. Ye do err not knowing the Scriptures. People get the Bible messed up and wrong because they just don't know it. You don't just need to be acquainted with the Bible, brothers and sisters. You need to really know the Bible. You don't need to just be acquainted with it. If uh, I have some people that I'm acquainted with, that, if you, that I'm simply acquainted with, but if you run to them, they'll say, yeah, Keegan's my friend. And I've got some people that would run into you that, that will say, yeah, Keegan's my friend, and they're, they're not acquainted with me. They're really my friends. They know stuff about me, like Joker, that I don't want you to go ask them about me, you know? That's how well they know me. And that's the difference. Some people say, yeah, I, I know the Bible, but no, yeah, you know it in a way of being acquainted with it. I don't, what Jesus Christ is telling you there, you don't need to just be acquainted with the Bible. You need to know it. Amen. So you won't get it wrong. Yeah, these Pharisees, excuse me, these Sadducees, they know the Bible. 
but they're simply acquainted with it. They know it in a sense that they're not really knowing it like they should know it and studying it and not reading it like they should read it. If you would read it and study it word by word, like in verse 32, you'd, see where, you'd say, look, God didn't say I was the God of Abraham. He said I am the God of Abraham. How could God say that? That's, that must mean that he is a living God that's got a resurrection power. You would get that, man. You would get it. If, you, if you're looking for it, you would get it. It's so frustrating to me to hear people talk about something and run their mouth about something they know nothing about. That's the most frustrating thing when you, uh, me and Joker have to deal with this at work. When I'm at work and I'm, I'm running a crane truck, they've got to have that brush cut down to five foot lengths. And they'll tell them, if you, they call it in a brush pile, it's got to be no longer than five, about this right here, no longer than five foot lengths. So I pull up there at the house, and they'll have that stuff out there 20 foot long. And they'll come out there, and those citizens will say, well, you can get it into that truck. That's no problem. You have no problem getting that in that. that that'll fit into that truck. It's like you don't know what you're talking about. I, I almost want to say, just stand right here, and I want to pick up that 20-foot long pile, and I'm going to swing it and just knock them out with it. Just pow. See, that's why it's got to be cut down. Because, see, I, got a guy, I have a guy working with me, and he's going to get hit in the head like a baseball bat if I don't, you don't have that stuff cut down. You're talking about something you know nothing about. And you've got people talking about the Bible sometimes, and they simply don't know what they're talking about. And that includes a lot of Christians. I have, some, I have Christians say some of the craziest stuff, and, and what you have to ask them is, where is that in the Bible? What's the, what's the chapter and verse on that? And a lot of times they don't have a chapter and verse. You know, I, I respect a man that doesn't have his doctrine correct, or a woman that doesn't have his doctrine correct, if they can show me in the Bible why they believe what they believe. Amen? Like, if you show me in the Bible, well, I, the reason why I, I believe this is the Bible says right here. And maybe you can talk to them about context, or you can talk to them about some stuff, but you've got to respect them because they're, they're putting their faith on the Bible. But when somebody tells me something, and you say, well, where that, where's that in the Bible? Oh, it's in there somewhere. Where? where, where is it? I mean, I actually have said that to somebody. Where? But where is that at? Well, it's in there somewhere. My grandma told me. I have had somebody tell me that. My grandmother told me it's in there. What do you do then? Your grandmother don't know what she's talking about. I mean, you can't say that, right? Well, maybe you could, but you're just, you're walking on thin ice. The point is, is you need to learn it for yourself. If you believe that you're once saved, if you believe you're saved and you can't lose your salvation, where's that in the Bible? Amen. You need to know. You need to know. You need to know where that's at. Look, it's not, you don't want to be just acquainted with the Bible. You want to really get to know it. And you're not going to get to really know it if you're not reading through it. See, this Bible... It's been given to you by God for you to read, Amen. not to be put up on a shelf to collect dust. Amen. And when I say read through it, read through it daily, but not just read like a couple of verses of Psalms and get you some devotional reading. I'm talking about read it from cover to cover. Amen. But Brother Kigan, I get to Chronicles and there's all these names and I hate those names. I'm the same way. They drive me crazy too. I, I've, I've questioned the Lord about that multiple times. Oh, my Lord, why don't you? But I know that God's word, man is not supposed to live by bread alone, but by every word, by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So I try to read every word. And I had another brother, Brother Ingesath, give me the testimony that when he would read those names, those Hebrew names, 
that it would do something in, he'd read those names and it would do something in his mind and it'd help him to, be, to open his mind up and things would open up and he'd feel like he was getting smarter and he'd do tests. He had to do a test, he couldn't figure out the test. He read his Bible reading for that day, he went back to that test and he said, it just came back to me just as clear as day. It's like he realized that maybe the Bible is doing something to my mind while I'm reading it. Amen, and maybe it is. But God put it in there and I'm going to read it. But the point is, he said, but why, brother? The point is, and I said this Wednesday, and I meant it Wednesday. When you read your Bible from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, you know what you find out? The God that you hear people talk about on TV is not the God of the Bible. And the God some of y'all are watching some of these people on TV preach about is not the God of the Bible. And you figure that out really quick. It don't take long into Exodus and, and when God said, I'm a jealous God. And if you do this, I'm going to kill you. God is love. Yeah, God is love, but he's a, God, he's a man of war. And he's got, a, he's got a personality. And if you want to figure out your God's personality, you've got to read this book. And you'll find out exactly how God thinks about things and exactly how God doesn't think about things. And you'll be amazed exactly what God thinks about something. You might be surprised what God thinks about something. Don't trust me. Read the Bible. Get to know it. Get to know it. What's an example of not knowing the scripture? I'll give you a good example. I mentioned it in Sunday school. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Amen. If I had that, if I tell you what, if every time I hear somebody say that to me that's a non-believer in Jesus Christ, I just I throw up in my mouth. I'm, I just can't stand it. It just gets me, it gets me stirred up. Judge not, lest ye be judged. What does that mean? Well, the world says that means you don't judge. Don't you judge me. The Bible says judge not, lest ye be judged. Don't you judge me. And if you know the scripture, really know the scripture, and what, what Jesus Christ is talking about, that, that's talking about self-righteousness and being a hypocrite. What Jesus Christ is saying is, if you're going to judge, get ready because they're going to judge you back. Because all through the rest of the scriptures, like I say, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. All through the rest of the scriptures, guess what you find out? You're told to judge. You know what Paul says at the end time? He says, can't you not judge? Don't you know you're going to be judging angels? Amen. We're going to be judging angels Amen. at the judgment seat, at the great white throne judgment. We're going to be judging those fallen angels. The point is, is that you're commanded to judge. So you've got to understand the scripture and understand what's going on. Here's another example. is in Genesis. In Genesis, when it comes to, the, uh, to evolution, the evolutionary theory, you have people, Christians, that believe in evolution. They'll say, well, if you look at the book of Genesis, it says that, there's, that the earth was created in six days, and there's a creation period of six days. They say, well, those six days are actually six million-year, trillion-year periods. Instead of six days, those are actually ages. And then they, they, they do that in Genesis so they can shove in all their evolutionary theory. That don't work. I'm going to tell you right now, that doesn't work. The reason why is, for one reason, that word day is defined as a 24-hour period. How do you know that, Brother Keegan? The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. The evening and the morning were the third day. You got things being created on the fourth day that, that, are not, that can't be working right if they don't have the sun, which is created on the fourth day. What do you got going on, bro? You've got, it's got to be six 
day periods, six 24-hour periods. It doesn't work to try to stretch, try to shove your evolutionary theory into the book of Genesis. It doesn't work. So you got a dilemma. You're either going to believe it or not. That, it's just that simple. You're either going to believe what the Bible tells you that God, how God created it, or don't believe it. I'm not, it's America. I'm not telling you what to believe, but don't come to me and try to tell me it fits in there because it doesn't fit in there. And you don't know the Bible if you're trying to shove it in there. It don't work. It's something that Christians don't understand about. Some of the stuff they don't understand about the Bible. They really don't know the Bible. They're not reading it. And if you come to me and say, well, it could be ages and ages and ages. Well, you have things being created that, that it, it, they, they need the light of day. They don't, it don't work. You got plants can't go for millions of years without light or water and all this other stuff that you see being created. It's got to be right then. That's why evolution don't work. Evolution theory doesn't work because you've got things... We're not living, we're not a man and a woman and a creature and a bug and an insect and a plant is not a plant unto itself. An insect is not a planet to itself. A human is not a human unto themselves. What I mean is we're living in the symbiotic structure that God created us to live off each other. Bees need the flowers, the flowers need the bees. It gets deeper and deeper than that. The simplest things you know about science will tell you that they need each other. The sun needs the the sun gives the stuff to the plant. The plant needs the sun. This plant needs the earth. The earth it needs it to something to die so it can decay and get nutrients. It's symbiotic. Amen. God created it, boom, and he created it all to work together right there in 6 days. It doesn't, it couldn't evolve. It don't work. It, scientifically, listen to me, scientifically, it does not work that way. Science, the way we know science, true science, that is symbiotic. It's got to be created all at the same time. Because it's all together. It all relies, we, when I say symbiotic, that word means we're relying on each other. Think plants are relying on animals. Animals are relying on plants. Insects are relying on animals. Animals are in, relying on uh, insects. It's, it's, they're symbiotic. You need each other. It doesn't work. They don't know the scriptures. And when people talk out of their mouth like that and run their mouth about the Bible and about evolution, it drives me crazy because they don't know the scriptures. I'm not telling you to believe it. I'm just telling you you've got a problem. And you're going to come to a point in your life like I did where I had to pick the Bible or I had to pick false science. When I was a young Christian, I had to believe either the Bible or false science. And because I had just put my faith in Jesus Christ, I picked the Bible. You know what happened? The Lord started opening my eyes and I've never looked back and I've never apologized. I don't have to apologize. I believe every word I say, and I'll stand up in a court of law and tell you what I say. This stuff will stand up in a court of law and has stood up in a court of law. Praise the Lord for that. This Bible is real, and it's true, and you don't have to worry about it. Amen. Just get to know it, though. You've got to get to know it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. People get the Bible wrong. They get the Bible wrong because they don't know it. They simply, it's just something they use. They just use the Bible. They use it for, for their own means. And as a Bible believer, when I tell somebody, hey, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, what I'm telling you is, is I submit to the Bible. 
I submit to the Bible. I believe the Bible has everything I need to know about faith, about practice, about God, about anything I have in my life. I submit to this words because I believe these are the words of God. I believe God's a higher, higher power than me. And I submit to every word on this page. I submit to it. And if you see me doing something that goes contrary to this Bible, that's because Keegan Hall is a sinner. And I can be a hypocrite. But in my heart, in my mind, I want to submit to it. And I believe every word of it. And what you have going on here is found in verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, verse 17. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. The Holy Spirit speaking through them, showing them the truth. But we're not as many which corrupt the word of God. They corrupt the word of God. Here's the problem with the Bible and Christianity. People hear the words of Jesus Christ, which some preacher got out of the Bible, amen. And they hear Jesus, and they like the story of Jesus, and they like the concept of Jesus, and they forget that everything they know about Jesus comes out of this book right here. The most important element of your faith is these words. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the words of God. Right here. Somebody preached this. They got it out of here. But what happens is they become a Christian or they, or they assume they're coming a Christian and they start living by these principles. But they use this just when it's convenient. And then when it's inconvenient and it goes against modern man, because we're so modern, we got things so figured out that they didn't have in the Bible, that they throw this Bible out and close it. When it comes to sexuality, they'll close this Bible every time. Every single time. When it comes to sexuality, whoop, they close this Bible. They don't want anything to do with it. When it, when it comes to God's love, they want to open up this Bible. When it comes to God judging a man, they want to close the Bible. You notice I'm doing that? When I say I'm a Bible believer, what I'm telling you is, when it comes to anything going on in life or anything to do with religion or politics or the world, I open up this Bible and I keep it open. Because it's the truth. Now, how some people get this stuff wrong, and the way people get the Bible wrong, is they corrupt, they corrupt, they corrupt the Word of God. All right, here we go. This will get you. How do they corrupt it, Brother King? They corrupt it by adding to it, subtracting to it, or substituting it. Those are the three main ways they're going to corrupt the Word of God. They're going to get a hold of these words, and they're either going to add to them, they're going to subtract from them, or they're going to substitute for them. Another word. That's how they corrupt it. Who cares about a few words? That's what they'll say. It's just a few words. It's just a little word here and a little word there. Who cares about that? Well, Jesus Christ cares. You say, well, how do you know that, Brother King? Because he just quoted them, I am the God of Abraham. He showed them, he, he quoted scripture showing them just that one word, am, wasn't was. If it was was, then Abraham's dead. But when he says, I am, Abraham's alive. 
That's what he was showing them. Now, spiritually, you got to grab hold of that. Don't let it fly over your head. They'll add to it. Now, John 1.1. 1, 1. Y'all don't have to turn there, but I'm going to return. I'm going to show you an example of this. Jehovah's Witnesses. I call them JW, short for Jehovah's Witnesses. This is what they do in their Bible. In the beginning, in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, capital G. If you got your Bible open, that's what your Bible says. In the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, that's Jesus Christ, and the Word, Jesus Christ, was God, capital G, right there. You got it? What's that, about? that verse right there tells you Jesus Christ is God. Well, the JWs, they don't like that. They don't like Jesus. They don't believe Jesus Christ is God. So what are they going to do? They're going to add to the Scriptures. So they make their own Bible version, and they add in there, at the end of verse 1, they add in there, and the Word was A. Lowercase g, God. They add one letter. One letter. Not a whole bunch of letters, not a whole bunch of words. One letter, the first letter in the alphabet, A. And it changes the whole meaning of the verse. It does. You get it? Jesus Christ was, Jesus Christ was a God, lowercase g. They're saying Jesus Christ is a lower God. He's a created God. He's a created being. That's what they're saying in that verse. By adding one letter. That's corrupting. As many corrupt the word of God. That's called corrupting the word of God. That's how they do it. They add to it. Are you, if you, you, you stayed there in 2 Corinthians, I hope you stayed there in 2 Corinthians. Look up at verse 15. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, verse 15. Just go up a couple of verses from 17. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. How do they corrupt it? Well, they add to it. They add to it. Now, I'm a King James Bible-believing Baptist. I'm a King James Bible-believer. I wasn't always a King James Bible believer. I used to use an NIV. I used to use a, 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 the Living Word. I used to use the New King James, NASB. I've used all kinds of different versions. It took me finding mistakes in the Bible to start looking for the truth. And those Bibles, looking for the truth, led me to being a King James believer. And then I looked at manuscript evidence. And then when I got called to preach... I went down to Pensacola, Florida, and I sat under Dr. Ruckman, and that's where I learned a lot of my manuscript evidence. Greek manuscript evidence, showing why the Bible's being attacked. Now, one of the things that I always have been told, and I got, I got this told to me by a, a bookstore owner. I went to this bookstore owner, and I just got saved, and I said, I'm looking for a Bible. I want them, and I had all these science fiction books, and I was trading in all these science fiction books that I had been reading, and I wanted just to get me a Bible. That's all I wanted. And that bookstore owner is a used bookstore. He said, yeah, I got a Bible over here. He brings me over there, and he goes, uh, what kind are you looking for? I said, I just, I just want a Bible. And he says, well, I've got this New King James Version right here. And he picks up a New King James Version. He goes, it's better than a King James because it doesn't have all those yees and those thous in there. Well, that's what I want. I want it. And he says, it's easier to read. Oh, well, that's, exactly, that's, that's what I need. And now to this day, I have people come up and say, well, I, I, have, I don't use the NIV or nothing, but brother, I, still, I use a New King James. Well, you, you still got problems. It's still corrupted. And I'm going to show you it's corrupted. Look at verse 15. Our Bible says, and the King James Bible says, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. 
Say amen. I'm going to ask a statement or ask you. Say amen if you're saved. Amen. amen. You know you're saved. Amen. Amen. A new King James takes that verse 15, and at the end of that verse, it says, In them that are saved, they add being saved. B-E-I-N-G, being saved. Are you saved or are you being saved? Now, I can't speak to anybody in here, but I can speak to me. I'm not being saved. I'm saved. I'm saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not being saved. There's no process. See, when you put being in there, you're, 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 you're making a process out of salvation. And it's not a process. It's either you're saved or not. You're either born again or you're not. You got that second birth or you don't. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not you're going to get saved. You're going to be in a process of being saved. You shall be saved. They add to the Word of God. So if you got a new King James, it's still corrupted. Yeah, but it's, the King James has got those ye's and those thou's. Ye is a plural of you. They're in there. It's a more proper English. When, G, when and Jesus Christ told Nicodemus, ye must be born again. He said ye, not you. He said ye must be born again. If he had said, you must be born again, singular, you, you could say, well, he's not talking to me to be born again, he's talking to Nicodemus to be born again. And I've seen the Jehovah's Witnesses try to do that. Say it was you. But when you say, ye must be, that's a plural, that means everybody must be born again. You see the importance of that ye's and those thou's? They're plurals, you need them. It clarifies. If you're serious about the Bible, you need them. Now, if you're not taking this stuff serious, and God's not serious to you, and you don't really care about the Word of God, just go on reading whatever you want to read. But if you get serious about God, get serious about Jesus Christ, get serious about what God has for you, it's going to lead you this way. Amen, it will. Subtracting from the Word of God. They subtract from it. Now, don't turn there. But in Acts chapter 8, verse 37... A lot of the new versions, including the NIV, they take that verse right out of your Bible. They just take verses out of the Bible. That's how they corrupt it. They add to it or they take away from it, subtract from it. And they take this verse right out of the Bible, verse 37, Acts chapter 8, verse 37. You say, Brother Key, and why do they do that? They don't like it. Because there's manuscript evidence to definitely support it that it's there. I'm not going to go into all this manuscript evidence. I, I, I don't have time, and it would bore you to death. You need to study yourself. But let me tell you something. That their manuscript evidence they use, you'll find out, it's just like when you study scientific theory and evolutionary theory. They're a bunch of hypocrites. I'll give you an example. Just, just a little bit of manuscript evidence. They'll say, in, and if you have an NIV, I want you to turn and look at the Acts chapter 8, verse 37. If you carry an NIV this morning, and I want you to look down, I want you to look at the footnote, and on the footnote, they're going to have that verse 37 took out. And on the footnote, they're going to say the, the, the best and oldest manuscripts don't have this verse in there. It's what they'll say, which is a lie. I believe it's a lie. Now, let me show you what they're doing. They're taking a manuscript that's, they believe is, is dated older, and they're saying, look, it doesn't have it in there. And we found this, and they're going to textually criticize the whole scriptures and say, look at this. 
we're going to use this manuscript now to translate our Bible and give us a new Bible. They don't tell you that 98% of the known manuscripts agree with Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Only 2% don't agree. And those 2% are those little documents that they're, they're so in love with right here. See these two documents that they're in love with, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, that they use to translate the NIV, the NASB? They use those. Those are Catholic Vatican manuscripts. Vaticanus? Vatican? Vaticanus? And they take these, scripture, these, 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 these uh, manuscripts and they say, these are more reliable than what you have that the King James translators used. Even though the King James translators, that 98% agree with what they used. Okay, now, these 2%, what's so special about these? They don't agree with each other. Number one, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. Here's the second thing. They've got all kinds of extra things added to them. Shepherd of Hermes, some stuff like that. Now, now that's okay. Now, listen to me. I'm not judging them. If they want to, they got that manuscript, they, they love it, they cherish it, it's their God, they love that manuscript, that's fine. But don't come up to me and tell me that's your scripture. Because they don't translate that into their Bibles. They conveniently leave that stuff out. They follow the King James setup, translator setup of how they set it up. And when it comes to the shepherd of Hermes, they just cut it out and they don't translate it. Now, if that's the best and most reliable one, aren't you translating it and put it in your Bible? Because it's not Scripture, that's why. They're hypocrites. If those are the men you want to follow, you can follow them. I'm going to follow the men that are following the 98% that we have right here that agree with this book. Why do they take that out? Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Philip is about to baptize a eunuch, and the eunuch asks Philip, what hinders me from getting baptized? Here's some water. What well, hinders me from being baptized? If you have an NIV, it says, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, and they got baptized. That's what an NIV says, the NASB, you go on and on. You know what your King James Bible says, which agrees with 98% of the known manuscripts? It says this, and Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why do they not like that? Because it takes away the importance of baptism. This is what hinders me from being baptized. You must believe before you can be baptized. That's what Philip is saying. If thou believest. It don't have anything about being baptized into a church or into the Catholic church or, or having the water wash away your sins. It's if you believe. You believe and you call out. He believed and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That verse confirms that it's belief by faith. The Catholic church don't like that. So one of, their, one of their scribes, way back in the day, they just took that verse and subtracted it. Now you have idiots in there, scholarly idiots, that are following that stuff, lapping it up like a dumb dog. I want the truth. Y'all guys, you've got to understand that this Bible does not make me happy sometimes. You got, you don't, I don't want you to think that I'm reading my Bible at, at, sometimes in the morning going, Oh, glory. Glory. Oh, oh, that's a beautiful scripture. There's times where I'm reading that Bible and I'm like, mm, 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 mm. I wish that wasn't in there. Man. And there's times my, I know my wife walks in there and I have the scissors out and I'm just like right in the process about to cut that out. I'm going to cut that scripture out. My wife, don't do it, honey. 
Listen. I submit to this book because I've never found any errors in it. And God says, I'm going to prove to you that I'm God by prophecy. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before it happens. So when I study this book, I see the prophecy in there, and I'm like, okay, this thing's holy. This is unlike anything else. And when I see men corrupting this book, it makes me mad. I get a zeal for the, for the love of God. I get a zeal for his book, and I get a righteous indignation about it. Because they add to it, they subtract to it, they subtract from it, or they substitute it. What's the third one? The third one is they substitute. They'll take the Bible and they'll take the word hell and they'll substitute the word Hades. Well, Brother Keegan, it's Hades. It's Hades. Hades, and when you question them about it and say, why are you substituting Hades for hell? Everybody in here understands what hell is. Nobody has any problems. Well, the Greek word, the Greek word is a Hades. The Greek word is a Hades. So why don't you give us the Greek word for heaven? Why are you trying to cover up hell? Why don't you say Uranus? Uranus. When we all get to Uranus, what if they... Da, 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 da. No, we don't sing it that way. It's called heaven. The Greek word for heaven is Uranus. Nobody cares. It's heaven. Why are you being a hypocrite and, 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 and substituting one word and not substituting all of them? You'll be like that big dummy that works at Walmart that I ran into that says, I don't understand the King James Bible. Oh, man, whatever. Ah, 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 he should have never opened his mouth. Ah, I'll tell you one thing right now. I, I, I can understand the Greek a lot better than I can understand that King James Bible. Are you crazy? My wife can testify that I said that. I looked him in the face and said, are you crazy, you nuts? I understand the Greek a lot more. You understand the Greek more than the King James Bible? You understand why we say it's Greek to me, right? That's somebody who's never studied Greek. I said, you understand how the original manuscripts are written? Yeah, I, I, I do. No, you don't. No, you don't. Every letter squeezed together. There's no spaces. In a Greek manuscript, there's no spaces, brothers and sisters. It's just the Greek letters squeezed together, all written together like this. So you got to go in there and say, okay, that looks like a word cut. This looks like another word cut. That might be an... It, it, it's, it's Greek. I've studied it. They made me study that down in Pensacola. Listen to me. It's hard. It's nothing like, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when some idiot at Walmart that's checking me out at Walmart tells me, I understand the Greek better than I understand the, the King James Bible, I just want to take this hand and say, come on, chin up. Just, what are you, are you crazy? We need to put you in a straitjacket. I told him to his face, you're crazy. It makes me mad. People say some of the stupidest things. They don't know the Bible. They don't understand the Bible. They don't understand how it's being corrupted. Look at 2 Corinthians I'm going on and on. I'm, I'm stirred up about this stuff. I tell you, it's important the church to know this. Very important. 2 Corinthians. Very important for y'all to know this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's very important for you to know this. People come to me and say, Brother Keegan, why is there so many different denominations? Well, one of the reasons is because is I can't get the Bible right. And I don't blame them. I argue with some of my Baptist friends about things out of the Bible. 
but you've got this problem where you've got the different Bibles being corrupted, translated different, messed with, and nobody can, get, can agree with anything. See, people arguing about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. What's the third thing they'll do? How people get the Bible wrong. They get it wrong because they have renounced the hidden, hidden things of on, dishonesty. We have, but we have, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, Paul says, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. They handle the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. They mishandle, or the way that people get the Bible wrong is they handle the Bible deceitfully. They take verses out of context. That's how you handle it deceitfully. You take a verse, and you read the verse, and you, and you take that verse completely out of context and use that verse for your own means. Jehovah's Witness got verses they use, King James verses. Mormons got verses they use, King James verses. But they take them out of context, and they use them deceitfully. And you can be deceived that way. Look at Amos chapter 4. And if you say, oh, I don't know where Amos is, Brother Keegan, that's why you need to read your Bible. <laughs> that's why you need to read your Bible more. There's an index in the front. You might not know what's in there, but it is. Go to the front and then you can look it up. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm trying to wake you up. The devil knows scripture. The devil knows the Bible a whole lot better than I'm ever going to know it. And he will use it against you. You need to learn the Bible to defend yourself and not be fools like a Sadducee. Amos chapter 4, verse 4. This is God speaking. Look what God says in Amos chapter 4, verse 4. Come to Bethel. Now, Bethel is the house of God. Bethel, house of God. Bethel, house El, God, Elohim. Beth is house, like Bethlehem, house of bread. Beth, house of God. Come to Bethel and transgress. And Gilgal, multi Gilgal, multiply transgression. And bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years. That verse right there tells me to go to the house of God and sin. You reading it? That's exactly what God just said. God just told him, go to Bethel, transgress, do some sinning. Pay your tithes after three years. Don't worry about tithing to me. Just after three years, bring a little bit. Everything's going to be okay. Come on down here and do that. That's what God says to do. That's a commandment right there. You read it? Come to Bethel and transgress. What's the next verse say? And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. They're supposed to do a, thanksgiving, a sacrifice of thanksgiving with unleavened bread. He said, offer it with leaven. In other words, go against everything I've told you. Transgress. Give tithes every three years or so and proclaim and publish the free offerings. Look, for this liketh you, O children of Israel, saith the Lord God. For this liketh you. Your God is being sarcastic right there. God is sarcastic? Yes. He's sarcastic. And he said, hey, come on down here and do some sinning. Yeah, you come on, because that's what you like to do. And then he's going to go on and tell them how he's going to destroy them for doing it. But you see how if you just read verse 4, you have God telling you to go to the house of God and transgress and sin? Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. You can use the word of God deceitfully, guys. You can prove almost anything out of the Bible. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. You can use the Bible to prove just about anything. And I've seen people do it. 
Here's a classic one. This one's pretty famous. A lot of y'all might know this one in here. Maybe y'all maybe have heard of this. Y'all have all uh, remember the uh, 9-11. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 10. Now, after 9-11, the day after 9-11, September 12, 2001, Tom Daschle stood up. Now, he was, uh, he, was, uh, he was the majority leader at the time. Tom Daschle stood up, and this is what he said. I know that there is only the smallest measure of inspiration that can be taken from this devastation, talking about the 9-11 tax where the Twin Towers fell. But there is a passage in the Bible from Isaiah that I think speaks to all of us at times like this. And he quoted Isaiah 9-10. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. Hmm. Tom Daschle, good Christian. Showing us what the Bible says. Amen? No, no, no. Look. John Edwards, three years later on the third, three years. John Edwards ran for the president of the United States, guys. John Edwards said this. Three years later, they didn't figure it out. Three years later, they still didn't figure it out. Good morning. Today on this day of remembrance and morning, we have the Lord's word to get us through. What, is, what word do we have of God to get us through? The bricks have fallen, but we have rebuilt. We, but we will rebuild with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. They quoted that verse right there. That sounds pretty good. Amen? That sounds good. Verse 10, the bricks are falling down, but we will build with home stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Them dumb idiots, and I mean, I'm being terrible when I call them idiots, because they have men and women all around them to help them out make stupid mistakes like this. They quoted the Bible in Isaiah 9:10 to say we're going to rebuild the Twin Towers. Look at verse 9. God saying, and all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, they, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, we will rebuild again. They won't repent. And then God says, verse 12, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with the open mouth. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. God's still going to get them. God comes in, destroys the tires, destroys the walls, and they say, in prideness and the stout of their heart, we're going to rebuild this wall. We're going to rebuild all this. See those sycamore trees? We're going to put some more sycamore trees in there. And God says, I'm still going to destroy you. Amen. And our dumb, stupid leaders of this country stand up and quote Isaiah 9:10, and you have some Christians, oh, oh, he's such a good Christian. He's taking it out of context. That's not even what God's Word said. If he would have got up and said, listen guys, before we rebuild, we better repent and get right with God. When's the last time you heard one of our political leaders say that? Oh, we're going to be praying for you. You're in our thoughts and prayers. God bless you. God. And we hear this stuff and we just lap it up and we think, oh look, he's such a good Christian. Oh, he loves God. They don't know nothing about God. Or they would stand up with a solemn face like Abraham Lincoln said and said, we need to have a fast and we need to repent. For this country. Abraham Lincoln is quoted as saying that. We need to have a day of fasting and he proclaimed it. And we need to repent before God as a nation. We need leaders to stand up and say stuff like that. 
We don't need them standing up quoting silly verses that they pulled out of context because they don't know the Bible and they're misusing it. You shouldn't be fooled, Christian, because you have a Bible and you can say, I'm going to read that for myself and figure it out. Amen. And don't fall for the ignorant stuff that they do. I could go on and on and on. I don't want to keep you out here all morning. This Bible's dangerous. How dangerous, Brother Keegan? Well, the Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's a discerner of the intents of the heart. The Word of God. When you read it, it's reading you. It's a two-edged sword. And every time I read that two-edged sword, I think of an incident that happened to me when I was a young boy. And we was out there, I was about 10 years old, and I had a friend, and he had a basketball. And we were, we were hitting that basketball with a baseball bat. And he would throw that basketball at me, and I would take that baseball bat, and bam, I would hit it. And woo-wee, that was a lot of fun. Up until the time he threw that baseball bat, and I'm using that, he threw, he threw that basketball, and I'm using that baseball bat, and I hit that basketball, and it bounced right back, and boom, hit me right in the head. Put the knot the size of a golf ball on my little head. And, you know, without any hair, it looks real prominent. <laughs> Ran home crying and crying. That's what will happen to you when you use this word of God deceitfully. It's a two-edged sword. Yeah, you might use it to try to cut somebody, but be careful, Christian. Because that thing can bounce back and come right back. It's two-edged and cut you. You start quoting scripture at people trying to straighten somebody out, you better be careful God will straighten you out with that word right there. This book is dangerous because this is the book that's going to be opened up at the great white throne judgment along with the book that has all your sins in it and you're going to be judged out of this book right here. Is that serious? We should take it serious. We should respect it. We should honor it. We should read it. We should understand how important it was. And we should listen to what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said when he said, Ye do err not knowing the Scriptures. And then he went on to say to them, Have you never read? Have you never read? Now you might be like my dear uh, friend, Brother Raymond Music. Just, put it, just uh, buried him and he's gone on to be with Jesus Christ. Brother Raymond, he got so convicted about this and he couldn't read. He wasn't a very good, he, he was not very literate. He, he bought him a Bible on cassette. I mean, on CD, and he would listen to that Bible on CD. I'm here to tell you, if you can't read, listen to it being read. Whatever you do, take this Bible very, very seriously. Amen. Everything you know about Jesus Christ comes from this book. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ that we find out about out of this book. Lord, I... Thank you that if we just call upon your name, you'll save us. Father, I just thank you that you'll, your Bible says you'll keep us. Father, you, I believe your Bible, when Jesus Christ says out of it, that if we believe on him, we will not be condemned. Lord, I thank you that you, you say in this book, Lord God, that if any man comes unto Jesus Christ, he'll in no wise cast them out. Father, these are scriptures, Lord, that I cling to, that I thank you for. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that I got your pure word into my hands that's not corrupted. It's not been messed with, Lord. And I thank you, Lord God, that you've kept it pure and purified for 400 and something years, Lord God, so we can read it and understand exactly what we want us to know, you want us to know. In the language, Lord, 
of these last times, these end times, Lord God. Thank you for it. And Father, I ask you to bless everybody who needs to sound my voice, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, if there's somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, Father, they'll come on down here and get saved. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that's an amazing verse of course talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you, and until next time. Casting all your care.
upon him.